Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Loopold's Hunt Talk Radio. As I was walking, I saw a sign on the sign it said no trespassing, but on the other side it didn't say nothing. Well, that sign was made for you and me. Hey folks. Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leopold's Hunt Talk Radio. Today I am in Manhattan, Montana. A lot of you probably don't even know there's a Manhattan, Montana, but just outside of Bozeman is this cool little town. And in this cool little town is a super, super cool business uh, called Matson's Lab. And those of you listening who know the science side of aging animals, you know about Matson's lab because that is the premier laboratory for all the the aging that happens uh, in, I think, every state agency, province, all federal agencies. And... Uh, I've brought a lot of animals out here in the last four or five years to have them age because it adds so much to the story, so much to the richness of my understanding of what these animals live through, how long they live. You can see these abnormalities in some of the uh, cementum, uh, some of the annuli, whatever term you want to call it, that really gives you a picture that you don't understand until you, you see it this way. So, uh, with me today will be Carolyn, uh, one of the owners, and AJ, uh, one of the guys in charge, and we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff. I don't know where the conversation will lead us. Uh, AJ tells me that the four animals I sent from this, uh, this last hunting season, that they just got them done, and while we're on the podcast, he's going to ask me to guess, I believe, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that because I'm sure I'm going to miss the guess, but I think it's it's a worthwhile exercise. I think that when I'm all done or when we're all done, you're going to look at this and say, whoa, that's cool stuff. How do I do this? How, how, do, how do I get my animals aged? And the goal for me is to get people to understand that there's so much that goes into the term we call conservation. There's science, there's management, there's the human element, there's the opportunity to go out and hunt, there's environmental conditions. So this is one of those key pieces to the conservation circle, This the science, the understanding of what's going on out there that can be determined by aging animals. So that's what we're going to get to. In the meantime, I want to thank Leupold for making this podcast possible. Uh, go to leupold.com, check out all the great stuff they have coming out for 2022. And when you buy optics from them, know that you're supporting a family-held company uh, right here in the United States that employs a lot of people in Beaverton, Oregon, and supports us. So, and when I say us, I'm talking about hunters, shooters, people interested in conservation, access, public lands. Leupold is a big supporter of that. And almost a twin of theirs in some respects uh, is another family-held business, long-time family-held business in Bend, Oregon. 
and that would be Nosler Ammunition. Go to Nosler.com, check out all their products, and now if you live in the right state, you can buy product online from Nosler. And then we've got our, our great friends at Mystery Ranch. If you go to Mystery Ranch and dot com check out all their packs you're gonna really <laughs> you're gonna really be overwhelmed with the options available to you but if you pick that out and you realize that we're using the the bear tooth 80 we're using the the metcalf we, we use a little bit of everything but we're mostly the bear tooth and the metcalf crowd for our elk hunting uh if you want to save 10 percent on that pack here's what you do you go to gohunt.com and you go to their gear shop and when you check out with promo code randy at checkout you're going to save 10 percent on your mystery wrench pack and most everything else in your cart there's certain items sale items stuff like that that it won't apply to but if you're in the market for a great pack mystery ranch is a place to to look and uh, the place to buy it is the gohunt gear shop so use promo code Randy there and save 10%. My buddy Corey Jacobson and his course that he put together, the University of Elk Hunting. Uh, if you're looking to further your elk knowledge, Corey's always updating that course, adding new pieces, refreshing it. Uh, if you go there and use promo code Randy, he's going to give you $20 discount on your subscription there. Our friends at Go Hunt, we're getting ready to do a podcast of some new tools that they've built uh, that I've been very involved in in their mapping system. Uh, now they've just added Point Tracker as part of the Insider, and there's a whole bunch more coming there. Uh, I, I love seeing how responsive they've been to our feedback and our ideas and the feedback of others. Uh, it's application season. So if you want the best draw odds, the best strategy articles integrated with desktop maps, mobile maps, uh, now a, a new terrain tool that I can assure you the terrain tool in their maps is going to cause you to say, holy cow. Um, and now that they have point tracker for you and any family members and, you know, there's just so much going on there. If you sign up for the insider and use promo code Randy, they're going to give you $50 of credit in their gear shop. Mad money, like go buy $50 worth of stuff. So when you sign up for the insider, use promo code Randy and don't miss out. And last, you know that we started a platform recently called Fresh Tracks Plus. You can see it out at freshtracks.tv. And it's for those of our audience who feel like I do. I, I value my time. I don't want to have to pay for content by sitting through a bunch of ads that mean nothing to me. I don't want to be served a bunch of content some algorithm thinks should be interesting to me because of the profile that YouTube or Facebook or Instagram has built based on my behavior. Uh, if you just want to have an, an unobtrusive viewing, uh, we put all of our content out on Fresh Tracks Plus. It actually goes to Fresh Tracks Plus before it goes to YouTube or anywhere else. And some of it is exclusive to Fresh Tracks Plus. So if you're interested in that, go to freshtracks.tv and we have it there for you. Really, we want to thank you for supporting all that we do. No matter you know where you're at, what platform, whether it's this podcast, our YouTube channel, our our Fresh Tracks Plus, the Instagram, Facebook, Hunt Talk, our our big online forum, whatever it is, we're in 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 deep gratitude to all of you who support these platforms, listen, watch, share, comment, and give us feedback. Thanks so much for doing that, and uh, I hope when we're done here with uh, this discussion that we're going to have with. 
Carolyn and AJ, that you find the aging of your animals to be as compelling and as interesting as I do. We're, we're going to talk about how this makes a, a, a story that's even more, more rich, more fulfilling. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to quit talking because they're here. They're the ones who can explain it the best. But appreciate you all being here. All right, folks, I told you that I was going to a really cool place in Manhattan today, and most most of you probably think I'm talking about Manhattan, New York, but Manhattan, Montana. I'm here at Matson's Lab uh, with Carolyn and AJ. Uh, we're we're going to talk about some really cool stuff. We did a YouTube video out here. You guys let us come and impose on you. And now we're going to get into wherever you want to take this conversation. So, Carolyn, AJ, thanks for taking the time to let me come and impose on your day again. Oh, thank you, Randy. We certainly love having you. And you're kind of a bastion for wildlife conservation around this area. And it's an honor. It's an honor to work with you. Well, now you made me blush. It's like, man, I'm, I get called a lot of things, but never anything that polite. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us on. I was talking with my friends last night, and I guess the new saying for the kids nowadays is "You've arrived." So I was joking with them. I was like, "I'm doing a podcast with Randy Newberg tomorrow. I've arrived." <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! I'm, all right, we'll, we'll go with that, AJ. If, the, if that's the term of the of of today's world, but. Uh, Anyhow, for those of you that don't know, uh, Matson's lab is built around the idea of aging wild animals in a multitude of different ways. And I'm not going to destroy the the real uh, explanation of what they do. I'm going to let Carolyn, who is the owner, uh, and you you previously worked as a wildlife biologist for the BLM. Yep, that's correct. Yep. I worked for the BLM. I was also the state wildlife specialist for Montana Extension Service okay. for a number of years before I branched off on my own and started my own business and eventually became involved with Matson's Labs. So it's been a, a long road, but yeah. it's been a fruitful one and we really enjoy what we do here. Yeah. The first time I met you, you came to a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation banquet and you handed out all these little packages that were a free sampling, right? free aging. And I'm the MC, and I'm looking at the auctioneer, and I'm like bidding. And he's looking at me like, am I saying something wrong? I'm like, no, Mark, I'm bidding. So I ended up buying <laughs> all of those because I'd always wanted to do it, but I thought you guys only did it for you know, state and federal agencies. So when I saw I had the chance to do some of my own animals, I'm like, I'm, I'm buying those suckers, man. So Yeah, that's that tremendous. Was... And I, I do think that most people think we do only work for state and federal agencies. And, and certainly 95% of what we do is for game management agencies. But we accept samples from private hunters and, you know, local outfitters and taxidermists. So uh, we can age any of these animals for, for anybody that's interested and has that curiosity about what they've harvested. Yeah. Well, the other connecting point was AJ jumps out on my Hunt Talk forum, and I have no idea who this guy is. And Big sky guy. Yeah. And he, so <laughs> he sends me a private message of, hey, 
I work out at Matson's. And so you're then the one who opened the door for me to come out here and make a nuisance of myself on a regular basis. Well, I'm glad that you accepted my invite. So. <laughs> yeah, we keep, we keep him around for a reason. He's a mover and shaker in these circles. Uh, so whoever would want to do this for the sake of the audience, uh, can you give the, the overview of how you, you age an animal based on whatever piece of whatever artifact it is that you start from. You bet. So we age animals based on the growth layers in their teeth and all mammals, including humans, deposit an annual layer of what's called cementum at the root tip. And cementum is just what it sounds like. It helps to cement the tooth into your gum line. People that have bad teeth, for example, sometimes you get old, you lose some teeth, teeth start falling out. Eventually, you get them all pulled and get dentures. Um, it's that cementum that's actually failing. Hmm. And that happens with animals too, but usually animals are harvested before that happens. So as long as their cementum is still healthy, we can look at those annual layers under a microscope and estimate the age of the animal. It's not 100% accurate, but it is the most scientifically based way to estimate ages. And it just is like a ring on a tree? It is like a ring on a tree. So they're concentric growth layers. They're, it's ever growing, but depending on season, probably food resource availability and things of that nature, the growth cycles, they quicken and they slow because of these outside circumstances. And so under a microscope, we can see those bands, they're light and dark growth bands, and they alternate based on, on seasonality and food resource availability and, and things of that nature. So kind of like, they're very obvious. I'm, I'm going to use a bighorn sheep as an example. So they have these annuli rings on their horn. Mm-hmm. Is that like an exaggerated version of... It is. Of, and bighorn sheep are, are one of the species that you, you can, up to some point, accurately age based on the rings, but most animals don't have those horns. Right. And so we can, we can age bighorn sheep based on their teeth, but we can also age a white-tailed doe based on her teeth. And, and you can't do that any other way. Huh. Well, it, when I come out here and look at it and watch what you guys do, I feel like I'm in the, like the skunk lab or something <laughs> like this is top secret. Like, but you guys <laughs> are de- so. It's definitely weird science. Yeah. But you guys are so open about it and you, you've really wanted to share a lot of this information with people. And I, I think that's the whole purpose of, of a podcast like this is to sh- explain to hunters how their harvest and their participation in state programs, whether it's, you know, like in Montana, they ask you to pull the bottom two, they call the incisors, Mm -hmm. uh, on your moose and send them to them. And uh, some people are like, ah, they're just, you know, they're either annoyed by it or they don't do it, but it's invaluable information. If if we as hunters want to say we're part of the conservation circle, we got to, we got to do that. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I know there are a lot of, you know, we do river otters and bobcats and different fur bearer species and lots of trappers. They don't want to part with, it, you know, the the canine, the teeth, the lower jaw. It's part of their trophy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, in order to manage these populations, we need this data. It's what's helping to set, you know, limits and quotas and trapping seasons and things like that. And submitting that tooth or that sample really goes a long way towards towards helping manage your resource. Because remember, as citizens of Montana, we own that resource. And so why not have an active hand in, in managing it? 
Yeah. Yeah, I think Carolyn brings up a good point. Um, as hunters, you know, I can relate to wanting to keep that, and we've actually worked. We kind of have a pretty good system with FWP, so if a hunter wants to retain that jaw, um, they can get it back now. And so it's trying to bridge that gap. And like you said, I think a lot of people just aren't aware of what that's going to be used for. Uh, we've actually gotten samples in where they were completely burned or they throw in a feral cat tooth instead of a bobcat <laughs> tooth thinking we won't notice. Um, and that's just the kind of thing, just like you said, they're stubborn or they just want to keep it. And I understand that, but it's like at the same time, we, you know, we want to, kind of bridge that gap and be able to help the hunters out too. And so we've worked out a system that if you really want to have that jaw back, uh, you can. So, yeah. Well, you guys don't just do it for FWP, which is Montana's game and fish agency, fish, wildlife and parks. Uh, uh, before we turned on the mics, I was explaining to you that we had some biologists from Wisconsin in town last summer. And when they saw your lab, they, they instantly knew who you guys were. And so you guys are doing it for all kinds of different agencies. Oh, yep. We, we hold contracts with almost every state in the United States as far as their wildlife management agencies, and they're all different. Um, we also process teeth for all of the Canadian provinces and, and a number of countries worldwide. So we get everything from polar bears in the Arctic to fur seals in the Antarctic and, and all the continents in between. So it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's really neat. There's all these teeth coming literally from around the world to Manhattan, Montana. <laughs> and I think a lot of people even here in Manhattan don't know what we do. Yeah. So it's it's kind of cool. For yeah. some reason, we've had quite a few people come here to do their laundry. I think they just see the L.A. and they, and they, they don't they, read the rest of the laboratory <laughs> sign. We can't figure it out. It's probably happened at least a dozen times. No way. We don't have a washer or a dryer here. <laughs> So if you need your laundry done, go further down Main Street. Here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So a lot of this data that you get, I mean, in Montana, we have check stations uh, in some of our species. Like, So I've hunted a lot of black bear in southeast Alaska. And on some of those islands, they've really been trying to manage the age of the the boars that are harvested because that's very important for them to get a full understanding of the health of, of that population. And so I go into Petersburg, Alaska, and the biologist pulls teeth. And I often wondered, well, I wonder what they do with those teeth or where they, how, how do they do this? And then... I come out here. They send them to us. <laughs> and, uh, we do them all. Yeah, I'm thinking, I wonder how I could find out how old that bear was that I shot. Because in Alaska, you don't get the report back as, as the hunter. Oh, okay. It, it's mandatory that, that you have to get it checked in, and they, they call it sealing. They put a little, like, metal... But, a little ring. Yeah, yeah. through it. And... Uh, but that's just so important, whether it's check stations, whether it's like when I shot my mountain goat, I had to bring it and check it in. Bighorn sheep, you got to check them in. Uh, Wyoming, when my son shot an elk down there, uh, we pulled the teeth and they did a blood sample there checking for all kinds of things, CWD and, and other stuff, but then also the age. So I'm... Like, cool. Yeah, I'll all the this. states do it differently. I know a lot of the states back east that we age the bears for, they're posting those bear ages online for the hunters to go on, and they can log in and see how old their bear was. But huh. it's up to the state agencies if yeah. they want to share that data or not. And 
I see both sides of it. I mean, there's a benefit definitely for the hunter because I think it, it bridges that gap like you were saying and, you know, it encourages them to send it because they're going to get information back. Um, at the same time, you know, it, it does require them to, to do more work and they're probably dealing with hunters saying, calling in, well, I shot this bear, it was 350 pounds, it was only two years old while well, I was sitting in a soybean field in North Carolina eating a bunch all year or whatever. So, yeah. um yeah, I, I think I can see both sides, but it's really just up to the state game agencies of if they want to share that data or not. Yeah, like Wyoming, you can log in, they give you a number of, of what gotcha. your number was. And so when they say, hey, they're published, you go to that data sheet that they publish, and you're like, oh, I was number 00888. Oh, this bull was eight and a half years old. And so. one thing that I will say that just reminded me of is we do receive teeth by the thousands from state yeah. agencies, but a lot of people um, call us to say, well, they pulled a tooth at the check station. Can you look up my age? We cannot because yeah. all we receive is a cross-reference list. We don't have personal ALS numbers or, or license numbers. So yeah. um, all that data goes back to the state agency. And like AJ said, it's up to them whether or not they want to publish it. Um, but technically, they own the data. Yeah. Well, it, the, where that mystery got solved is I was out here when we did the YouTube video, and I told you you guys had aged my son's elk, and you guys couldn't find it anywhere in, in your files for, for me personally. I went to my folder, and I found that Wyoming Game and Fish had aged it, and that's where I got the gotcha. eight and a half years old. Yeah, so Wyoming does have their own lab, the state lab. And they, oh, do they? They age them. Oh, so you guys don't do them. So I, I just, anything I thought I'd ever had aged, I thought had been done out here, and so you guys were in a scramble of, what what, what did we do with Randy's elk? And so, <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's a handful of state agencies that have their own labs, hmm. um, but we actually do a lot of their animals also, because yeah. uh, some of the more difficult ones, they just, they just sent us yeah. uh, and some of the species are a little bit by nature easier to age e either because of the way the growth cycles happen or they just receive <clears throat> excuse me that many more of them yeah so if you're looking at thousands of deer and elk you can get pretty good at what you're doing if you're looking at a handful of swift fox there's just not very many people that have that uh, background that can really know what they're assessing yeah so Earlier, Carolyn, when we started, you mentioned that this was a kind of a trail left behind that is driven by food abundance than food scarcities. Is or that, is climate that okay. or other, you know, okay. natural resource inputs. Um, okay. We don't really know what causes these layers to grow you know, concentrically and they're, they're quick growing season and a slow growing season. And I'm talking about the, the growth at the root tip. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but we know that it works. Mm -hmm. We do know that it works a little bit differently in different species. So the uh, fingerprint, if you will, of a black bear looks very different than the fingerprint of a mountain lion. Really? Um, but those are all things that, again, we've analyzed hundreds of thousands of these samples. In fact, <laughs> millions. We're going to hit the three million mark this year. No way. And, uh, <laughs> and it's just, it's just a numbers game. You know, it's that interpretation of what you see, but combined with experience, mm -hmm. uh, no one's, no one's done as many of these samples as Matson's lab. Yeah. And so it's, it's food. It's not the hormonal changes brought on by a rutting I, cycle. I wouldn't say that it isn't. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's some combination of those things. Okay. So, um, you know, day length, 
uh, temperature. Mm -hmm. It could be hormones. Uh, In fact, in the case of bobcats, for instance, Mm -hmm. males look very different than females. And I mean, it it has to be something associated with the the pregnancy cycle or the lactation cycle. Uh Uh, But they're all just a little bit different. And it's certainly probably... uh, based somewhat on the seasonal cycles. And I, I have to think it has to do with food resources, climate, uh, in some places, simply geography, you know, latitude, things okay. like that. And, and the cycle of day and night, the cycle of seasons, the cycle yeah. of food abundance, it, it all plays a part. Huh. Yeah. There's, there's kind of a line, um, like Texas, Georgia, Florida, all of those States in general, the animals are going to be more difficult for us to age. And because so that's kind of where... Aren't the huge fluctuations you see in northern latitudes? Like strong winters? I mean, yeah, so that, exactly. That's so the they're, they're, they have such mild winters down there um, that that's kind of where we, we have that theory came from is we don't think that they're laying down those crisp, clear annuli. Um, sometimes they do lay them down, though, down there. So that's that's kind of the thing. And just like Carolyn said, don't know exactly what's causing it, but we know that it's repeatable and it's reliable and it's the most accurate way to estimate the age of a wild animal. Yeah. Well, when I was out here doing the video, you had two Wyoming mule deer that I'd taken out of the same herd that migrates 120 miles. I shot one out on the winter range and I shot one uh, way up on the summer range. And uh, Sarah pulled up the I'm going to call it projector because that's how low tech I am. You guys have these big microscopes that go up on a TV screen <laughs> and she's walking me through. Okay. Here's how old this the animal is. So it was born whatever year going back from the day to harvest that many years. Well, they both lived through the terrible winter of 2016, 17. One was a two year old. One was a, a fawn when it went through that terrible terrible winter. I mean, mortality rates were 90% in fawns and adult bucks was like, I can't remember, 40 or 50%. And so watching this and seeing how your people know what these little things are telling you, oh, here's an abnormality. Here's a, and then you see, this was a really easy winter. See how crisp and, and clear this is? I'm like, well, this is like decoding, you know, some mystery to me. But. It is pretty cool. And I think, you know, we use the age data more than anything else as far as a management input, but those physiological and environmental factors that are affecting the growth of these animals' teeth, basically, um, I think probably have clues to some other things that were happening in an animal's life. But But just because there was a bad year, we can only speculate. Was it drought? Was it a tough winter? Was it Maybe the animal got hit by a car that year. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe it broke a leg. Maybe it chewed on a rock. I mean, there's just no way of knowing. We we can see the interruption in the growth cycle, but it's really hard to know what caused it. Yeah. And and it would be really cool to do more work and find find that out. But we're we're pretty busy aging animals, so (laughs) that's that's pretty much the extent to what we'll admit to. Yeah. The rest is is speculative. Well, for me, it was just it, it filled that that gap in my mind as I've gotten older anytime I take an animal I don't care if it's a doe or whatever I think about what this animal lived through how how amazing it is that this animal was able to make a living out on this harsh landscape 
and some generational knowledge had to have been passed on to this animal and they had to adapt they've got human pressures they've got hunting pressure they've got predation and then they've got the elements of climate and weather and so in my head i'm always trying to think like with my mountain goat i'm trying to think all right i elk hunt here a lot so i know a lot that's unfolded in this landscape in the last five or 10 years or whatever. And I'm trying to think of how did this animal know and learn to make a living out here? And, and you know what it lived through based yeah. on having been there. Yeah. And so these two mule deer that I, I have is kind of like parallels. One's uh, two years older than the other. And the one that was two years older seem to have such less dramatic impact than the one that was younger who looked like it was a fawn when it went through that really terrible period it just to me these are stories that get your mind thinking about this and then it takes you to the next phase of all right habitat related what are we doing about habitats that allow them to get through these stressful periods so that when abundance returns we have these healthy populations and, and what role do hunters play and all that. And so I, when you guys send me results, there's a couple wasted days. It's like, <laughs> well, I'm going to spend two days just thinking about and looking at my maps and retracing what this antelope did or what this bear did or what this, it, it just, I hope more, more hunters. Uh, and that's the purpose of, of wanting to have you on the podcast is more hunters be thinking about this stuff. Because yeah. what you guys do is unbelievably that, that important piece that helps managers understand what's going on out there. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, as humans and definitely as Americans, we live such consistent lifestyles throughout a year that you tend to forget what a winter does. <laughs> and you go out, you know, hunting for a weekend when it's 15 below. And then you think, okay, this animal lived through five winters and I've gone out for five days and experienced that. And so um, it is really neat to think about. And that's really encouraging that, that you're going back and kind of thinking, okay, this animal is five years. It lived through five winters. Like that's a pretty amazing feat, especially when you go out and you experience that for a day or two, but it's so easy to forget because we live in temperature controlled houses and we get our temperature controlled <laughs> vehicles and we go to the grocery store or Walmart and we have that abundance of food. So that idea of not having a consistent um, environment year round is kind of foreign to us now, yeah. but it's not foreign for these animals that are living in the mountains or on the plains year yeah. round. Yeah. I mean, I, I often say is that, we as humans have a lot of luxuries that wild species don't have. They can't do anything just for pleasure or for, well, I feel, I think today I'll just go do this. No, everything they do is with purpose and with reason because all those things you mentioned, AJ, those are realities they deal with. We also have a police that protect us from, you know, getting eaten tomorrow. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you're a wild animal, you have to make those risk-reward assessments. Yeah, every day is risk-reward. Yeah. Do I want to migrate 120 miles and cross these highways and possibly get run over? Everything that they do is a conscious decision of how do I survive to the next day and the next day and the next day. And we, I think the comforts we have as humans it's easy to get disconnected and and not think about it in the terms of how important this stuff is for wildlife which you you guys in in some way are accountants and you're like accountants what? of teeth <laughs> well 
Well, accountants record historical results. And then we try to use that to extrapolate what's going to happen in the future. And you guys are kind of doing the same thing. You're taking historic, you're, you're recording historical data, getting it in some useful format, and then providing it to the people who are going to project what they have to do going forward. And I don't yeah. mean to embarrass you or offend you by saying you're kind of accountants, but... Well, I wish yeah. I was an accountant. I'd have more money in my <laughs> <laughs> Don't bet on that. So how I got to be an accountant is my aunt, Mary. Mary, I know you don't listen to podcasts, but when I changed majors like eight times in college, she said, oh, you sh- you're good with numbers, Randy. You should be a CPA. Our CPA makes millions. <laughs> <laughs> what? With numbers, he makes millions. Sign me up. Is he working for the Gotti gang? Or yeah. What? Cook, so, cooking the books. Yeah. So then I go and get an, uh, an accounting degree and become a CPA, and I'm here to tell you, Aunt Mary, you were lying to me. I still love you, but you lied. And there's millions. I, if it's there, I have, I've yet to figure out where it's at. But Maybe you're just too honest. Maybe, well, maybe that's it. I don't know. But. I think you need to inherit some of... Uh, some of his maybe yeah i should have went under tutelage of her cpa maybe that would have shown me the path but anyhow like like i told you in the beginning we go down a lot of tangents and rabbit holes here so whatever it is you guys want to talk about feel free the audience is like wait and i think the only reason people listen to this podcast is to wonder what i'm going to do to put my foot in my mouth this week it's (laughs) kind of like the suspense of how stupid is newberg going to be this week so but uh then we get into this thing and and uh, age class and age structure of whether it's the harvested animals and how you can apply that to the total herd or the total population is super important for managers to know whether it's the vulnerability of the, the animals being harvested or whether it's, is this a reflection of the total population? Do you guys ever get... Uh, like disease kill, like it, right now in CWD, they're saying, oh, the adult male population really is the one that gets hammered hardest in deer by CWD. Do you guys ever get any of that that's not hunter harvest, but other? We have, and AJ can probably speak to that because we're we're just starting on some really big CWD collections and uh, AJ's been more in touch with those biologists, so maybe he can speak to that. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I don't have an exact answer, but short answer to your question is yes, but a lot of times we don't know if the samples are coming from hunter harvest animals or if they were just naturally collected in the field. Um, but I do know that some of the CWD samples that have come through have been naturally collected. Um, but like Carolyn said, I know some of the states where the CWD has been really prevalent, they've instituted a mandatory tooth requirement from those harvested animals or from, you know, a game warden goes out and puts down a deer. If they find one that died and they suspect it had CWD, they, they want to get that tooth so that they can have that data to hopefully help better understand the disease. Um, but yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of where that's at. Cool. Well, I suspect with CWD expanding across the landscape, that might mean more work for Matt's and Lab. It, it might in the short term <laughs> while they're yeah. working on these projects. Our hope is that it doesn't such decimate populations that we don't right. get as many teeth in the long term. Yeah. So, but, but that's why we're tracking this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why the biologists are using the data and they're looking at the hunting seasons. They're looking at the overall population trends. And it's really important that they have the year over year over year trends. What we like to see is is no change yeah. in the age structure. But 
when all of a sudden animals are on average, you know, five years younger than they used to be, that there's something going on. So mm-hmm. it's uh, important to, to catch that as soon as you can. And that's, that's why we strive to get our results out so the managers can use them for the upcoming season. Yeah. Does that create a really busy season for you? It does. And it starts about right now. Uh-oh. <laughs> so we're, we're just now getting all the teeth from the 2021 hunting season. Okay. And uh, we're going to try to spread them out all the way up until the 2022 season starts. Yeah. Um, huh. so. AJ handles our lab logistics, so he does the scheduling, and it's, yeah, it's we've, a lot. We've worked out with a lot of the state agencies, some of them collect them, send them in immediately, and then we get results out. Some of them collect them, hold them, send them in later in the year. So we're able to kind of spread it out throughout the year. But uh, typically we're guns blazing for 11 or 11 and a half months of the year. And then we usually around Christmas-ish time, sometimes before Christmas, between Thanksgiving and Christmas is kind of when we get caught up, breathe, and then the new year comes and it's right back <laughs> in it. So it's, it's really fun. Yeah, and yeah, this is the time of year that we're getting thousands of teeth per day and really? stocking our shelves for the upcoming year. Yeah. So. You guys walk me through the logistics of what it takes to keep track of every tooth that comes in here. I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not in charge of that because <laughs> I, I mean, men don't read an owner's manual or anything. So I, <laughs> that is true. If I, this is just my own personal thoughts on this, Carolyn, if I was you, I'd make sure you have women in charge of something that detailed because guys just. Well, I don't know. AJ's pretty handy with a label maker. I'm, I'm good at labeling and, and getting things <laughs> logged in, but Sarah's really good at training and make sure everybody stays up to stuff. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, we've kind of talked about what cementum is and it's the tooth equivalent of annuli. Is mm-hmm. that, is that a fair way to, for a yep. lay person to say mm-hmm. it? I think so. Okay. Um, uh, with this information, you've, I've heard you talk about otters. I've heard you talk about bobcats already. You've talked about all kinds of mammals. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, are you doing as many, non, well, I'll call them non-game samples? as you are game samples or not as many okay. but we definitely get a number of samples uh from special research projects threatened and endangered species a lot of them are live poles so they're they're what, animals what? live so they yeah. sedate the animal correct yep. the animal wakes up and is missing a tooth short one too yeah. so like the, the igbst you're probably familiar right. with that yeah uh, interagency grizzly bear study team. exactly yeah. when they capture a bear one of the things that they're collecting is a tooth and then uh usually about this time or in the coming months they'll send us it's usually around 50 depends how many bears they trapped and it's mostly grizzly bears every once in a while they have an incidental incidental capture of a black bear yeah and so we'll age those for those and then like carolyn was saying um i know there's some different elk studies that we've participated in with the biologists in montana where they go out and sedate the elk and then with elk it's actually interesting they'll pull the upper canine or the ivory tooth because that's the least intrusive. You don't want to take <laughs> the central incisor out of an elk because you're going right. to inhibit its ability to feed. Right. Uh, and then the same thing with those the bears, the tooth that we take from a harvested bear uh, and the tooth that we take from a live captured bear is actually the same one. It's the first premolar back there, and that really doesn't have any effect on their ability to, to eat. So, huh. um, But, yeah, it's pretty neat. Wow. So then... Uh, Reptiles? Can you do the same thing with reptiles, or not with no. their teeth? We've done uh, reticulated python ribs and vertebrae. 
what, do we try what, it? What, say that in layman, so, so that an accountant can understand We've it. done python, ribs, and vertebrae. And then we've also done alligator femurs, and we've done tortoise femurs. And they have an end, uh, like a cementum annuli? An annual growth layer, yeah. yeah. So And then amphibians, I know you said reptiles, but amphibians, uh, yeah. some of the researchers, they do what's called toe clippings. And they'll clip a toe, and then it's a, it's a very, very small bone. It's either right. a toad, toads, frogs, and salamanders is what we've done. And then we, we section those, and just like Carolyn was saying, there's an annular pattern in there, and you can get an age estimate <laughs> off of that. Yeah, I read a, a science article about uh, aging whales by their earwax. And so these what? whales have, they have ears, they're mammals, yeah. you know, they have ear openings, but they're underwater most of the time and they, yeah. they build up this waxy layer to probably protect, you know, their, their yeah. brains from the yeah. water. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they've harvested these whales that have these concentric light dark bands in their earwax and they can they think, estimate the age of the whales off of those. Now, thankfully, we haven't received any whale earwax, but mm -hmm. if we got some, we could probably assign an age to it. Really? Wow. When, what, have you ever guys, the, the one when I think about teeth is a walrus with teeth, like too big. Yep. Have you guys ever received walrus? We get about 100 walrus samples a year from no way. U.S. Fish but and Wildlife. They're not the Alaska. big tusks. Okay, they're not they're the, the tusks. The cheek, cheek teeth. Yeah, right? the oh. comparable tooth on the lower jaw. Okay. So no, we don't, we don't oh. get a tusk in. That would be really cool. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Oh. They're still, <clears throat> excuse me, they're still impressive. Yeah. Like, a walrus tooth, the small tooth, is about the size of your hand. <laughs> no way. So, maybe not the size of your hand. But it, in, it's in that size in my of your palm. Probably the size of your nose. Yeah. Really? <laughs> and, yeah. and they, I mean, walrus are eaten on seashell type food and stuff. And so it just. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty incredible because of probably their diet, their tooth crowns are worn down almost to the gum line. So they maybe only have about three quarters of an inch yeah. above the gum and then three or four inches of root Hello. holding that in so that they can do that chomping they need to do. And walruses have a longer lifespan similar to bears. And then since walruses aren't hunted that much, yeah. just the, the native harvest, indigenous, you know, yeah, indigenous yeah. Um, a lot of the walrus we get are pretty old. So it's pretty common. Most of them are over 10 years old. And then we get, you know, in the 20s and 30s, it's pretty neat. Yeah. What's the oldest elk you've ever aged? 32 you know? from Pennsylvania. What, 32? <laughs> yeah, actually, those people that are listening, um, you can go on our website and you can find the oldest animal of all the species that we've aged. Really? Was that a cow, I'm assuming? I presume so. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't I presume so that. also, but, but elk were not being hunted in Pennsylvania at that time. Yeah. So in a hunted population, they are now, but in hunted populations, you know, generally the males just don't live as long because we see cow elk in Montana in their 20s. Really? And um, we, we don't see bulls in their 20s. Yeah. We're really lucky if we ever see a bull in their teens. Yeah. Um, I can't think off the top of my head when we, yeah, 14. That the Washington bull. That oh, was that's 22. right. Yep. That was yep, there a was a Washington. Yep. Weird, cool story. There was a guy, a hunter from Washington, and he submitted us a tooth. And we kind of do an ongoing um, competition. The person that submits the oldest tooth a month and then the oldest tooth for the year, we give them a little uh, gift package or whatnot and contact them. And so this guy had 
had the oldest tooth for that time period. And so we reached out to him and we all thought that it was a cow. And he's like, oh, cool. And he sends us these pictures. And it's like, have you seen the movie uh, Benjamin Button? Curious no. Case of Benjamin Button. Well, it's about the guy. And as he gets older, he gets smaller. And just, he had the, the last two years of antlers. Um, and they actually found it as a deadhead. And he said oh. they'd hunted it for like five or 10 years. And I guess where they were at in Washington, it was really thick. Um, and so then he had the sheds from the year before and then he had the dead head and it was just the one had like just a nub and then the, it was basically like a raghorn with mass really but really really bizarre and 22 years old yeah mm-hmm. it was super crazy that's incredible yeah what about like deer they that you know they seem to be a little bit yeah what would i the uh, product, productivity of a deer herd seems to be slightly higher than an elk herd. Probably, yeah. and as a result, they probably don't live quite as long. Yeah. But uh, the same thing, I mean, we see deer in their teens. Really? That, that just... Not very often, and in our hunted populations, you know, they're probably, most of them are three to five. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it just has to do with when, when you can harvest the animal. You know, a lot of places have antler brow tine restrictions, things mm-hmm. like that, that they, they have to be at least a certain age. But uh, beyond that, you know, there's the, the more of them you have, the less old ones you have. Right. So, so do, you, do you ever look at, and this would just be a hunter worried about it, not probably a scientist, but we have states with a high hunter harvest, like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado. We have a lot of general and over-the-counter hunts. And then you get to states like Utah, Nevada, Arizona, where it's very, very restrictive. I suspect that if you looked at the average ages of those teeth by state, you'd see some some differences just because of the management policies. Your, your that, suspicions are correct. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but, you know, that, that whole, the, the trophy management, I, I don't know if that's something we want to get into in this talk, but, uh, but yeah, when you're, when you're managing for trophy or for quality or for age or for size, it's much different than managing for equal opportunity for all. And we see that in the specimens that are eventually taken. So yeah, when, when these areas are heavily hunted, the average age of them is much younger. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not being managed correctly. Right. It's just, just a different management objective. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And so in hunter harvest, we, and this goes back to when we decided we wanted to recover species, it became that the female segment of the population was kind of off limits. Mm-hmm. It was only in in my lifetime. Yeah. I remember growing up in northern Minnesota that they first started issuing doe tags in Minnesota in the mid to late 70s. And before that, if you shot a doe, you were looked at as, don't you care about the population you shot? You know, yep. you, 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 so uh, even, uh, I shouldn't say before that, but when they first came out with that, there was like this stigma of who wants to shoot a doe? So because the hunter harvest gets directed more at the male segment of the population, in your tooth samples for elk, deer, antelope, say, is it... Do you, is your sample size way greater on the male side of the spectrum or the female side? or is it? So sometimes we don't even know the gender of the teeth that oh, we get. Okay. We're, oh, really? we're literally okay. getting teeth that have an ID. We're processing that tooth and assigning an age. Sometimes the biologist will include additional ancillary information, whether that be the gender, um, 
we, we always need to know pretty much the date of harvest or at least know that it was harvested in the fall months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes, you know, they might include the weight or something else. Or sometimes if it's from a ranch or an outfitter, they might put in there, you know, six by six or 350 inch bowl. They mm-hmm. might have, it's just kind of up to them how much information they need. We really only need the ID okay. for bears. We do need to know that the data kill just because they kind of have a spring season and where they're harvested at in relation to what we presume is their standard birthday when they're being born. That helps us assign a more accurate age. Hmm. Um, I just wondered if there was, if there was that strata of male versus female, if you'd see uh, an older representation in the female segment versus the male I segment. Would, I would but. suspect so, but... Yeah, I would I would also think so, but, but that's sort of like AJ was saying with that old bull from Washington, you know, when we see an elk of that age, we kind of just assumed it was a cow. Yeah. And we were really surprised to find out it was a bull, but usually we don't know. And we can only speculate. So, you know, when we're looking at a mule deer order, you know, and most of them are sing- single digit ages, but then we get some that are in the teens and yeah. we think those were probably females just because yeah. in a hunted population, males often don't live that long, but some of them do, but we just don't know. Yeah. So, so a lot of this, like I say, is speculation. Now, the person that harvested the animal knows, knows and probably the agency that submitted the sample knows, but we don't know. And, and we, to be honest, we'd kind of prefer it to be that way because mm-hmm. we want to have the most unbiased information available. So we just want to look at that tooth on the slide. We know the species and the date it was killed and we're going to estimate the age. Yeah. Well. And sometimes the age surprises people, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, if we we're using the best science available to anyone to do this. And so uh, we're pretty, pretty confident in our ages. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know who's going to argue with you. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, and sometimes even the biologists are surprised. I know some of the bear biologists back east, um, especially where they have a high production of agriculture, their bears are getting very large at surprisingly young age. So, you know, as a biologist, they know their populations really well. And, you know, a two-year-old bear should weigh this in this region. And, you know, when the bear comes back too, and it weighs more than that, then then they are suspect of that. And we, we've double-checked it and gone over the data, and we're just like, no, you've got some really fat bears. <laughs> and I didn't believe it, to be honest, when we started doing this, because in Montana, a 600-pound bear is a grizzly bear. Yeah. You know, oh, like we can't, exactly. we just don't get black bears that big. Right. And uh, it's nothing in, you know, North Carolina, where they've got access to these mast nuts to acorns and, and, and oak. Oak trees, acorns yeah. come from oaks, yeah. uh, but some of those other hard, hard woods that produce nuts, you know, they just get really big, really fast. Really? And I kind of had to do a double take. Now I'm used to it because mm-hmm. we've been doing it for so long. We've seen those huge bears and they're definitely out there, but it's mind boggling if you're from Montana and yeah. you're used to our little measly black bears. <laughs> and I've seen some of the photos of the black bears in Florida and, you know, they're, they're fairly young. And you could just tell, like, it's just a fat bear. Like, it yeah. doesn't look right. It's uh-huh. just fat. <laughs> it, it, it's arms and places that aren't supposed to be, or I should say supposed to be, but what I'm used to seeing in Montana or a normal bear, what I consider normal, yeah. it's they're very filled out. And so that's how they they're just have a lot of food access. Yeah. On the grizzly bear side, you must get some pretty old grizzly bears because we don't on them. I mean, there's plenty of human cause mortality or natural cause mortality also. Yep, we do. And we've gotten uh, 
I think our oldest grizzly bear was 30s. 30s, yeah. I can't remember if it was 30s. And I don't remember if it was Idaho or BC. Wow. But, that, uh, that information's on our website. Yeah, again, it's yeah. at our, what, at our What's your website so that people, people, are, we've mentioned your website a couple sure. times now. They're like, Randy, come yeah. on, give them a plug here. It's, it's www.matsonslab.com. And if you just Google Matson's Lab, we'll come up. But there's a lot of information on our website uh, as far as the, the age structure and the way that we are doing our age estimates, uh, information on preparing an order for shipment, information on the numbers of animals that we've aged, uh, breakdown by species, and like AJ said, the oldest animals on record and, and generally the oldest animals of each species that are known to humankind mm-hmm. were assigned by Matson's laboratory. So, yeah, so you know, we know that an, an animal can... You know, a seal, for instance, can be 43 years old because we aged a 43-year-old one here. Wow. So, uh, you know, and other than opportunities in captivity, we we really don't have a way to manage those type of things unless, and the gold standard is tagging at birth. You know, the only way to really know the age of an animal is if you tag it at birth. And every once in a while, we get some of those samples and their true known age. And mm-hmm. that gives us an opportunity to confirm our right. work or fine tune our age models, mm-hmm. um, particularly for species that we don't have as much experience with, because we do get some weird exotic species from different countries. And for North American game mammals, we're, we're re- pretty much right on all day long, but we get a Ibex from Africa and we just don't have much to compare yeah. it to. So we can still assign an age, but we have no way to to know how accurate we are unless we have some known age samples. Yeah. So if anybody out there listening has any known age samples of any animals, whether they're from a zoo or some field collection, um, we'd, we'd be happy to analyze those and, and check our, our ages. Yeah. Yeah. The, I got it right here. I, I'm surprised I forgot it. Cause this is a, actually reminded me of a neat story. So the oldest Brown or grizzly bear was 39 years old and like <sighs> instead of harvested in Alaska. Wow. Um, and actually there's a 40-year-old bear, and the reason we know that is because we had an instance, I think it was in 2018, a biologist in Alaska contacted me, and they are like, hey, can you pull this slide? You guys aged it. I think we aged it in 2012 or 2010. And I, I forget what we aged it as. Um, and so I was like, yeah, we, so we pulled it. We verified the original age. Unfortunately, they didn't pull another tooth just because the bear was pretty old, and she, she, this is the crazy thing. She had three cups, but that bear according to the age of whenever we pulled the slide, it was actually 40 years old in 2017. But we didn't update the website because we didn't actually age the tooth from a 40-year-old bear. We had aged it when it was, I think, in its late 20s. Yeah. And so then this was approximately <laughs> 10 years later, and they found it. And she goes, yeah, she had three healthy cubs. So that was a really crazy, really? cool story that you have a 40-year-old brown bear in Alaska that gave birth and is rearing three cubs. That's a good. That's a good mom. I mean, imagine how yeah. many cubs she contributed to the population in the past thirty-eight years. Yeah. Oh man, that is amazing. Yeah. Forty years old. Whew. So, yeah. Matson's lab. Most humans with, with, aren't reproducing by then. What's that? <laughs> most humans aren't reproducing yeah. by then. Much less, <laughs> much less triplets. So. Yeah. Uh, so Matson's lab with an S on the end. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. M-A-T-S-O-N-S lab.com. Yep. Go yep. there, folks. Thanks, Randy. And if you and if you don't go there, you're not my friend anymore. So uh you know, you guys aged a wolf for me. And that was a year and a half old wolf. I thought it was way older than that when I shot it, because it was this 
80-pound wolf. But I looked at the teeth. I'm like, these teeth look like perfect condition. This wolf hasn't been fighting a lot or, you know, hasn't <laughs> had the rigors of life. So when you aged it for me and it came back at a year and a half, I'm like, hmm, that probably makes sense based on how, I mean, these teeth look perfect. I mean, if you were a, a wolf dentist, you'd say, this person is great, <laughs> you know. Uh, but you have a pronghorn that you emailed me, AJ, and said you might have some ages for me. I do have ages for you. All right. So in, I, I have no idea. In, in so so this is too. just based on my hunter estimate. Okay. Right, I think that pronghorn was four and a half years old. You're close. What? Are we going to do this like Price is Right? Is this? Hey. Is this I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> What's that I, game they play? High, low, or over, under? Something where, like where that. I, I, give yeah. you, I give you an age and you have to tell me if it's higher or lower. Okay. So you gave me the age of four. It was lower than that. It's lower than that? Yeah. And it's three and a half? Correct. Okay. Huh. Well, dang. Now, just, you're I'm, talking about the... The one that I shot in Nevada. Yes. That I've dropped off here. Yes. Three and a half? Dang. He had so much mass and such knobby horns, and he was starting to get like a Roman nose. Hmm. I thought he was four and a half. Pronghorns seem to be one of the animals that, I guess, peak, if you want to say, at a younger age from what mm-hmm. I've gathered. Mm-hmm. I don't hunt a lot of pronghorns. But yeah. And we don't see a lot of old ones. Yeah, for really? sure. Yeah. Do you guys get a package every year from Eli Grimmett? We do. All right. He's your friend, isn't he? Yeah. Pronghorn Guide Service? Yeah. yeah. Eli and I, we... we He's the one not talked to, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we were texting the other day, and uh, we're always interested in this kind of stuff. So, Eli, if you're listening, I'm, I'm about ready to get a download of information here that I'm not going to share with anyone. But AJ told me I can't get that information, so I have to get it from you, Eli. <laughs> but Eli publishes all of his oh, on cool. his website. That's so cool. They, and it is really remarkable. The reason I, I, I bring that up is when he publishes that, they shoot... You know, if you're into the measurement of, of the horns, they shoot some unbelievably huge pronghorn that are only three years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's the, you know, like in an elk or a deer, typically you're looking at five or six years old before you're getting the big bulls and bucks. But it seems like with the pronghorn, it's a little bit younger of an age. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. Well, then I dropped the moose off and I bet you he was a year and a half old. Close. Older. Older, two and a half. Okay, huh? Yeah. So, hmm. yep two two years of antler growth on that one. And I asked AJ when I looked at it yesterday and looked at the age. I I didn't know. I I, I hadn't seen the moose. I yeah. didn't know how big it was. And I said, yeah. how you know? I saw it too. It was pretty young. Yeah. And I said, was I ho- was Randy hoping this was really old? And AJ's like, no, he knew it was young. And I was like, few. Some people think they shot, you know, the Mac Daddy, and right. then when you tell them that it was two or oh. three, they're they they well they don't believe you. Yeah. But uh, well, with that moose. You know, I'd blocked out most of the month of October to hunt moose, and then my mom ends up with cancer. So uh, I'm like, Mom, I'm coming home because we find out how aggressive of a treatment and immediate it's going to be in in classic mother's fashion. I don't want you coming home until you shoot a moose. <laughs> so the next morning, there was this young bull standing out at the South Fork. All right, called him over and shot him. Hey, and, you shot uh, a Montana moose. And yeah. That's more and so, than a lot of people have done. Yeah, I I knew he was, I thought he was a year and a half, so two and a half, so that, that's better than I thought. Are so, you wondering about anything else? Yeah, my mountain goat, because <laughs> here's here's the deal on the mountain goat. Uh, on one horn, uh, 
they counted 12 rings. And on the other horn, they thought they counted 14. But they said, we're not sure. We'll have to wait until we get the report from Matson's lab. I said, well, I'm taking one of these teeth and I'm going out there with it today. And maybe we'll find out because they, I think they send theirs in in a big It batch. would be a long time yeah. before you got your age back from them, which so, is not, nothing against them. They have a lot of data they right. need to collect. And So with this one, I'm saying... He's at least 12, but that's correct. So, somewhere between, uh, I'm going to hedge my bet. I'll say 13 then, between 12 and. You should play the prices right because you just won. What? How old are they? You're a winner. And I have it here if you'd like 13. to see it, Randy. Really? I know this can't. Uh oh, we lost. We lost a feed. Uh-oh. I got you. I, I think the TV probably powered off. Uh, okay. I know. Folks listening won't be able to see this, but um, I've actually got the prepared mountain goat on a slide, and we're just going to sure. project it on the big screen here so Randy can see for himself that we don't make this stuff up. <laughs> like, I would have any reason to think, oh, man, look at all the crazy wavy stuff. So, for mountain goats, the first year of growth is uh, actually not seen because they don't get their permanent incisor until they're a year old. Oh, okay. So that first dark line that mm-hmm. AJ is pointing out is, yeah. is year two. two. And you okay. can kind of count out from that. It's got a little bit of weird stuff going on here, which mm-hmm. is totally normal for an old goat. Really? But are you counting them there? I was. So go ahead. Two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11. Oh, I missed one back here. Sorry. You did. It's this little guy. Yeah. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, seven. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah. And that 13th wow. really comes, uh, well, it's kind of down here that you can really see 12 and 13. But but this is this is sort of the nature of what we do. And oftentimes I kind of start up high to uh-huh. determine where those first few years are. Okay. Because that's really important. You have to be starting at the right age sometimes. As you can see, that two-year kind of disappears and so does the three-year. Yeah. If you started counting down at the bottom, you'd be off. Yep. But uh, then we kind of scroll down and finish it off at the bottom. And, wow. uh it's pretty cool. It's an old goat. Yeah. Literally. That's, that is an old goat. And for, and it was a billy, yeah? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that's extremely old for a billy. A lot of Montana winners. I know. And so I'm, now that I'm thinking, okay, he's 13, he was shot in, so he was born in 2008. Yes. Born <laughs> so born in the, in May or June, early June of 2008. We had that brutal, brutal winter of 2010-11. So I was in Ohio, so I can't okay. speak to it. Oh, it was, it was the, in my 30-some years of living in Montana, it was by far the worst winter wow. we ever had. Uh, and so he would have been four years old at that time. No, two years old at that time. And then he lived through uh, our winter in 16-17. wasn't nearly as bad as it was in Idaho and Wyoming. Uh, but he lived through that one. And then here's the cool part. This herd of goats, or this population of goats, whatever you want to say, uh, we didn't have a hunting season until 2014 because they started recolonizing Mm. into this area. And I'd go up there elk hunting and I'd see an occasional goat. And I'm like, wow, this is weird. This is 
I didn't know we even had goats in here. Well, then you see a few more, see a few more. And so the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, their volunteers went and did a study. And our local biologist here, Julie, relied on their data to establish a season in 2014. And they gave away two tags. And they've surveyed, the volunteers have surveyed that three times to confirm the population is increasing even with a harvest of two goats and uh, this year they gave away a third tag because the population has expanded so much uh, but he he's seen an awful lot of yeah and what's more impressive is i mean this is good well part of that's broken but this is good growth like a lot i, I mean Obviously, lived through some hard winters, but this is a healthy animal. Yeah. Well, at the end, it was kind of interesting to watch his behavior. So in November, the the goats are are rutting or breeding, whatever you want to term, give it to goats, and uh, he he's just this monstrous body even though his hips are withered there's hardly anything left of his hips but his chest and the the front end of him is just structurally huge and there are some other nice billies that are walking in and out of the herd and if he stands up and starts walking towards them even what we think are mature record book billies are running away from Mm -hmm. him (laughs) and he must have been i don't know if this happens from falls or from rocks not coming down but on his horns uh the biologist said well this one is is broke off more than an inch and this one has broke off at least a half inch so i knew they were both broke when i when i took him and then the fact that there even were any teeth left to give you on his lower he had the two main teeth in the front that were didn't look very good and then he had one remaining tooth off to the left side that was broken rotted that was just a little nub <laughs> that's all he had left for teeth so I, wow this is the central incisor right yeah this is one of okay because yeah. that's another kind of interesting one on goats is they they their first four teeth come in each of the next four years after birth okay so if this was the second incisor it would automatically be a year older oh, right. and if it was the third incisor it'd be two years older okay no this was uh cool one of the yep. front because yep. they kept one and julie the biologist like here i'll break this out for us oh great so wow what a cool story what you think about how many to live 13 winters in the cliffs and snow and ice in that brutal country and somehow make a living. Yeah, it's a pretty tremendous trophy. I mean, a, a mountain goat is anyways, but to get one this old and, and that healthy and, and getting him before he starts his decline, which is yeah probably coming soon. <laughs> um, otherwise, you know, to, to get him at, yeah. at that age, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and when we skinned him and and quartered him he had zero fat Mm. Uh, it was so his his hips were just emaciated the the goats have smaller hind quarters than front quarters but i I shot a goat in 1995 that was aged at six and a half and the hind quarters on that one were way more robust than on this guy i just shot and so 
I don't know if he would have made the winner. And that's the thing. When they get that old, I mean, any winter could be their last. Yeah. So, to, like I say, to get him before he goes in that downward decline, that's that's pretty cool. Because you'd originally seen this goat four years ago, right, or something? Uh, yeah, three years ago, 2018, I saw him. And even then, I looked at him. I said, I've never seen a goat this big, body size. I, it was snowing that day, and we were hunting with some friends, and you really couldn't make out what he was. And my one friend says, what's that up there in the ridgeline? I just, using my naked eye, said, he's so dirty and brown, and like they do mm-hmm. uh, in the rut, they get a they roll in it. And they, uh, I said, I think it's a grizzly bear. Because <laughs> with the blowing yeah. snow, you really couldn't yeah. see, but that's how big the body was. And then it cleared off that day, and I take my spotting scope. I'm like, I wonder if I can see that bear again. Well, now it's clear. I'm like, holy cow, that's a that's a billy goat. And I watched him. He just stood there for the longest time, and he was so big. And there's some other goats nearby, and he looked like a horse out among a bunch of llamas or something, alpacas. He's just that big in the body. And so I, I've taken him to the taxidermist for a full body mount, and you guys know Jerry. Uh uh, he's been, he's been oh, yeah sorry yeah he's been oh. here forever uh and when i brought it out there he's like i'm gonna have to buy a different form this hide this this wow this the way this thing is belted <laughs> out he's like i'm gonna have to buy the biggest form possible and put a lot of putty and clay on that thing and he said it's just that's mammoth. so cool so yeah that's really cool well if you if you don't have room in your house for it you need it to be up for display we've got we've got room here i i don't have room for it in my house but but you're building a new one for the goat well no we we moved into a new office in (laughs) september so that'll be cool the crew is like we can't use that space right nope that's where the billy goat's gotten so well Well, it's a tremendous tremendous harvest such a story of of what a life they live um and this herd itself we saw a nanny that it was bedded on a cliff we thought it was a billy it was so long we're like this has to be a billy (laughs) so we spent a whole morning getting up above it get to 170 yards and it stands up and it's just this long emaciated looking nanny all by herself I, I don't think she would, I mean, I can't say this for sure, but she just looked gone mm-hmm. and just, and she was all by herself. Every other group of nannies and kids are, you know, herded up or grouped up, familyed up, whatever you call it in the goat world. And she was just all off by herself. Like, so makes me wonder how old some of these animals grow to be, especially when they colonize new habitats that, now there are resources available to them mm-hmm. lack of competition it's like whoa garden of eden and no hunting and, season yeah for however many years until yeah. they're established yeah for him you know he was born in 2008 so there were six years where there wasn't even a hunting season there and then conservatively there's only two tags so the odds of him being one of the unlucky billies that get plucked off was pretty slim because he spent where i first saw him he was far away from the place most people look for goats. I saw them because I was elk hunting. And then I waited until the last 10 days of season. Well, little did I know, he migrated four or five miles to where Hmm. all the nannies and kids were. So I'd seen this goat in September and October where he normally hung out. 
and he was with two other Billies. And it, again, it, it, you, with your naked eye, you could tell which one. Just dwarfed them. Yeah. yeah. Well, then I go back there in the rut, and he's gone. Like nowhere to be found, no tracks in the snow, nothing. I'm like, great. Got all my chips out on the table here, and I, I got dealt a, a bum hand. So we found him the next day, and uh, he was in among, I think there were eight nannies, and then four or five other billies that would come and go, and one of them is really, really big. And horn-wise is bigger, because it's not broke, is bigger than him, but body size was not as big as him. So I'm, you know, if I were to guess, I'd say, oh, that guy's probably two or three years younger than this guy, but he knows to not mess with him. It was so obvious that his reputation on the mountain was, oh, Fred's been here a long time. Don't mess with Fred. (laughs) And so here's this old Billy that probably isn't going to make the winner, but he still was commanding the respect and and yeah. whatever tradition and learned behaviors are, don't mess with them. Are you going to come out with some new apparel, old Fred? <laughs> <laughs> you have the big head apparel. Oh, there you big go. AJ demands a five-cent royalty on every no, piece no, of there you go. Yeah, I, I never just, thought about that. I know you got Big Hank, that's the elk. Yeah. You have old Fred now. Old Fred, Big Hank. <laughs> Maybe we'll just have a whole campfire and, uh, you know, have a, a Billy Goat old Fred there and Big Hank. And <laughs> actually, the crew started calling him dirty harry dirty harry because he was it. so filthy and you know how goats when they're rut, yeah. they're kind of like elk they urinate and roll in it and dig beds and stuff he's he's just a filthy mess so they called him dirty harry that's hilarious <laughs> and then the the uh i'm trying to remember the name uh you know in the movie dirty harry with clint eastwood i think the guy's name was like uh, Hank Callahan or something yeah, with the detective, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. detective Callahan. Callahan. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so they started Harry and yeah, Hank. The, that go so the crew hand. was also calling him Mr. Callahan. So yeah, oh, that's kinds great. Of names that's for him, that's but, tremendous. Uh, so there was one other one. I, I went to Wyoming with a friend, uh, Mason. Uh, from Nosler, and he shot a pronghorn, and I gave you that tooth. And I was, I was going to guess that that pronghorn was three to four years old. And the reason I say that is because I didn't think he was old enough to have survived the winter of sixteen seventeen. So, I mean, that population they've cut the tag numbers more than in half since the hard winter of sixteen seventeen. So I didn't think he was very old. But now you just slipped the sheet under my nose. You want to see it? So that one's higher. Yeah. AJ's a pronghorn expert, so I'll let him do the delineation. But they're, I mean, they're pretty pretty obvious. Yeah. The first annulus in pronghorns pretty mm-hmm. close typically. So mm-hmm. that's two. And if you scroll up, you might be able to see some separation. But anyways, two, three, four, five, five, six. Six. A six-year-old pronghorn buck in Wyoming. That's pretty cool. Like Carolyn said, we don't get a lot of older ones, so that's kind of like an old pronghorn. Yeah. And uh, again, if people saw the episode, we've already aired this one. This buck is, horn-wise, is nothing spectacular. He's got some funky deformation that looks like the top of the swirl on a Dairy Queen ice cream cone. Lots of mass, but not very long, not very big prongs. But again, 
every pronghorn buck that was coming around, and this was September 20th, peak of the pronghorn rut, they are scared of him like you can't believe. Just like old Fred. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know what name we're going to give this guy. Maybe he's old Ned. (laughs) (laughs) But he he had 20 does with him. And if you got 20 does in Wyoming, you're going to attract a lot of attention in September. And he (laughs) did. And all he would have to do is just posture a little bit, and some of them would be gone. And there was the occasional one that's like, oh, you know, I'm tired of him running me off. Well, when he'd run at them, they're like, all right, I'm going to rethink this. And then, you know, how pronghorn just run across the landscape. They just like to run, I think. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I just thought with his heart of winter there that there wouldn't have been very many bucks older than three or four they probably so. aren't now there's one less <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh mason's gonna think this is really cool because we were trying to determine how old he was and we're, you know you're looking at teeth and you're like i, I, I don't know uh it's so, so it's so deceiving i mean it's like like you just saw here hopefully it's hard to argue with with yeah. what you're seeing on the screen there but when you're looking at body size and antler size or horn size and mm-hmm. you know Across geographic locations and different food availability, it's it's so tough to estimate ages just yeah. because each species is different. Each each population within the species is different. Yeah, different well, families within the same population are different. So, well, I, so I'm sitting here looking at two pronghorn. One's a three year old. One's a six year old. The three year old misses the record book by a half inch. And this is the th- this is the three year old. Just so. You can see the difference. I mean, you can just tell there's just not the growth there. Two, three. Wow. Huh. And you can even see, Randy, I know listeners can't, but just on the handheld slide, Uh you can tell this still has a, you know, more open pulp cavity. Right. So that tooth is still growing. This is largely closed and and the root tip itself is a lot thicker. It's just, you, you can tell that one's an older animal. One's older than the other. You just can't tell the exact ages right. without looking under the microscope. Yeah, you can, looking at Mason's, you'd swear that this dude was going to lose all of his teeth in about a week. Hmm. Whereas mine from Nevada just looks like this robust. How big was Mason's then? It wasn't a half inch or an inch from the record book, I take Not it? Not even close. Hmm. I mean, it, it's a cool buck. I mean, yeah. he was really excited and I was excited for him. But just as far as horn growth, if, if you're trying to measure these you know, whatever artificial or arbitrary scoring system that there is out right. there, that it, this demonstrates how disconnected that can be to age. Yep. So Mason's buck might be, you know, on the Boone and Crockett scoring system would be maybe 72 inches, 73 inches. And it, the three-year-old is right under 80 inches. Oh, wow. And if it wasn't for a broken tip and a polished off uh, prong would have made it. And, and the mass is incredible. Whereas, you know, one's living in a low population density area. And yours and was by itself too. It didn't have 20 does, right? No, it didn't. He'd been run off. He had, he had two does with him the day I missed him. And then the day I shot him, he was all by himself. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point that you bring up. You know, as a hunter, I think a lot of times we we see that and we kind of get focused on the antler size and and how big the horns are in in the case of pronghorns and whatnot. But the does and the other bucks 
are seeing the animal for what it is. <laughs> yeah. and, and as a human, you know, that's the easiest thing for us to, to see and identify with. And you just think, oh, that one's got bigger horns. It's older. Um, maybe in the case of this one, it was past its prime. Maybe it wasn't. You know, I, I've shot some elk that didn't score that great, and they were much older than I thought, too. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's one of the things, especially with public land hunting. Um, my friend, he shot a 12-year-old bull this year, oh. and it was probably <laughs> less than 280 inches. And yeah. so it's just one of those things where you think, oh, okay, it's going to get older, it's going to get bigger, it's, but that's not always the case. And like Carolyn said, it's just so hard to tell. Yeah. And then Matt, her husband, he shot, was it 12? Mm-hmm. 12-year-old bull, and it was 400 inches. Whoa. Or over 400 inches. Yeah. So it's like... It, Environmental conditions, I mean, there, there's so many things that go into that. But you're absolutely right. Like I even I do this for a living. I still have that kind of like correlation where as you get older you get bigger, but that doesn't it's not always expressed in antler horn. Exactly. Um but the other animals, you know, in in both of those instances, I think that's pretty cool. You're talking about the goat and how all the other billies were running away from him. He yeah. was older. He didn't score the best. Mm-hmm. And same thing with that, that pronghorn. You know, he didn't score the mm-hmm. best either, but he had the most does. Yeah. And yeah, he was definitely the one who was, if it wasn't for uh, his lack of paying attention, uh, he would have had a chance to pass on his genetic code. You know, and he had for the previous yeah. however many years, you know, when, yeah, that's cool. when he became the dominant buck in that area. And it is funny how the population, that, that small group of animals, whether it's a group of mountain goats or a group of pronghorn, they know who's been around the longest, even <laughs> just based on behaviors, mm-hmm. it seems like. They're like, this is the old boy. We'll, we'll listen. We'll we'll will not step out of line. Uh, but we don't know. Yeah. And then you, know, you take a step back and what the Felix bull, that was the mm-hmm. archery world record. Yeah. A couple years yeah. Ago. Steve's that's bull, which was the archery world record for the longest time. How old was that? Six. What? Yeah. No, no one believed it. We checked and rechecked and it couldn't be anything, but it was six. Six and, years yeah. old. That's the Pope and wrong typical record. And then just this year, Sean O'Shea up in Canada shot, mm-hmm. Pope and Young non-typical, mm-hmm. right? And that was... In Alberta. Carolyn can... I was out. Oh, he, was, he was nine. Nine. Okay. Yeah. Really? I hope, I hope I'm not saying the wrong thing. I'm pretty sure he was nine. Yeah, I think he was no, nine. No, I know he was nine because the All Foundation asked me what I thought it was going to be. And, and I usually don't do this, yeah. but I said eight to ten. Really? And this is when we... Before, I don't yeah. even think we got the truth yet. And um, some other people, of course, thought it was much older, but uh-huh. I know they're never as old as you think they're going to be. So yeah. I subtracted a couple years and ended up being being huh. right. So. Yeah. Well, you know, you look at some of this stuff and you try to figure it out. Like my son, Matthew, that bull at Wyoming aged at eight and a half is in its absolute prime. I mean, it's a very, very nice bull. I mean, a friend came who's an official Boone and Crockett scorer and scored it. But it's nowhere near 400 inches. It's 50 inches south of that. Mm-hmm. So how does a six-year-old get to be 400 and whatever Steve's bull was? I can't remember for what some four twenty something. Yeah, yeah right four twenty-nine. Uh, I think at six and a half. Yeah, habitat. Yeah, I mean it's habitat, and and that area doesn't have you know the tags that some right. of the other areas right. do. Age. But but yeah, I mean it's. Age, genetics, and nutrition. Mm-hmm. That's what builds horns in every case. Yeah. And so 
without genetics and nutrition, it doesn't really matter the age. Right. You know, the animal's just never going to get the same. But if you've got the genetics and nutrition mm-hmm. and you let them get live a few years. And express yeah, that. Yeah. 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 There's a hunter that called in this year and he had harvested a, a whitetail in Illinois and it was over 200 inches. Mm-hmm. And he didn't tell me that. And we were just talking and I had his ages and I just gave them to him over the phone. And he goes, oh, okay, that's what I thought. And then he told me it was 200 inches. And I was like, two, and I was questioning myself because I'm like, a 200-inch whitetail at four years old is pretty crazy. Yeah. He, goes, no. <laughs> he goes, I knew he was young. And so it, like, it lined up with what he was thinking. And that was really encouraging for me. Um, but it was very clear. Like I even looked at it again after I hung up the phone. And I was like, oh, it's four years old. But you know, people are like, oh, you, you wait and shoot them when they're five or six. Like, who's going to pass up one or two? Yeah. Inch white tail <laughs> at, at Cause he even said that on the phone. He was like, oh, I, I thought about, you know, passing. And I'm like, you can't pass up a 200 inch deer. It's once in a lifetime deer, but <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. I'd like Any, to see a 200 inch mule deer. Yeah. yeah anyone sure, who even thought about yeah. passing that up needs a ticket to the insane asylum. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, these are this now that you just so, folks. AJ told me we'd try to have your four animals age by the time we do the podcast. Uh, I didn't see that until you just slipped this paper to we me. We just got them yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Someone worked over the holiday just for me. What do I owe them? Nothing. Nothing? I, I mean, I'd take a 20. But. A 20? Okay. <laughs> All right, that's like, well worth it. Like I said, letting us come on this podcast, you know, I've arrived. So you've, you've got, <laughs> oh. no, this is really cool, and it's it's a lot of fun. You know, we do analyze hundreds of thousands of samples, and mm-hmm. each one has a story. We right. don't get to sit down with the hunter and hear the story, right. but there's just as many stories for every animal that's brought into the lab, and so. You know, you're sort of representing every hunter today, well, and and that's really cool. And I know you guys are really busy, but I want to encourage more hunters to do that because they can go to your website and download uh, a form. Yep, and we fill have an order form, and, mm-hmm. and they send it to you, and yep. you guys do it. And yeah, you know, obviously, you guys don't work for free, but the the value it adds uh, in for me in terms of the story and my understanding of that animal and and the landscape and the management philosophy that is being applied in that unit that I might be hunting that is so worthwhile to me and i think anybody who did the who does this who hunts who's interested in how these animals survive and how factors are influencing the ability for them to live to long, you know, die of natural deaths. Uh, they, they would love to do this. I, I, yeah, I can't, sure. I can't encourage them enough to, to go do this. Well, thanks Randy. We appreciate yeah. it. And, and we want to encourage it too. And along those lines, I think AJ would like to uh, try to further encourage people. Oh, what, what are you going to do? Well, I guess this is just my idea here. I'm going to throw it out for you. But what about a public land aging challenge for you and your crew? For me and my crew? Yeah. That means we'd have to fill some tags. Yeah. We're not. Think, <laughs> we're, do you think you can do that? We're do not that <laughs> good at that part, AJ, but okay. Well, so Tell, what, follow what, me through then. So what I'm thinking is, you know, all the animals that you guys harvest on film, um, at the end of the season, you can have your audience take a guess at which animal they think is the oldest, and then we can do a drawing, and we'll, we'll give them a nice swag package and free aging. Okay. 
Cool. So, I think that's um, really cool. Something so, to come for the 2022 hunting season. 2022 season. So at the end of the episode, when we take the animal, we'd be like, and we'll have to figure out the logistics of how they make their gas. Or you, you can just do like a short compilation video after, at the end of the season, maybe. Oh, there you go. And yeah. then they can comment on that video or something. Yeah. We got about a year to figure out. The details. The details. Okay. It takes us about a year to figure anything out. So that's, <laughs> that's about right. Um, and then the other thing for your listeners, because mm-hmm. I'm one hunt talk and I see this, uh, pretty much everything you're involved with, promo code Randy. Uh-huh. If they want to submit teeth, they just use promo code Randy and we'll send them a free Matson's hat. Oh, cool. So. And our hats are super sick. <laughs> Yeah. With our new logo. Right. Yeah, the trucker style hat, similar to what uh-huh. you have. Well, cool. So, so yeah. if they, so what do they do when they fill out their form and yeah, send when they it fill in? Out they the just form, just write promo code Randy. Promo code Randy on it. Or if they send us an email, they, they just drop your send name Send us anywhere. a smoke signal. We're good at that. Yeah. We're good at that too. <laughs> <laughs> got, got enough native blood, I can read a smoke signal. <laughs> uh, oh. So yeah, those are kind of the, the two That'd things be cool. to maybe encourage so, Your folks, listeners. go to www.matsonslab.com, and there's all kinds of cool stuff there. Yeah. I mean, all this, the oldest animal of this and of that species. But then when they get ready for hunting season or even spring bear, I mean, yeah. that's coming up. Um, even if you've got a jaw that you haven't submitted yet from this past oh, season. Yeah. So that's another good point that Carolyn brings up. We get a lot of phone calls, and this is something hopefully if people are still listening they listen to this part but this is a pretty frequently asked question hey i shot this deer and i don't have any of the front incisors i only have either the lower jaw or they don't even have the lower jaw they just mm-hmm. have a european mount we can age any tooth from any mammal uh that those two front incisors those are our preferred tooth and those typically yield the best results but we can age any of the premolars or molars either from the upper or the lower um, really? one deer and elk and then elk too you know it if you had a shoulder mount done, almost everybody saves the ivories. Mm-hmm. And so if you want the ivories back, we can do that. Cause like Carolyn mentioned earlier, the cementum is on the root tip part. So you could send us your ivory and this is what we did for uh, Sean O'Shea's. And then we, we trim that root tip off and we send you back the ivory or the, the crown. And so you still get to keep your ivory. Um, but we've run into the issue where, well, I have a jar full of ivories. You have to know which right. ivory it came from. Otherwise, it's, we're going to be able to age but, it, but you have to be able to send us a jar full, and we'll send you a list of ages. Uh, well, so you I, can decide which was which. If my wife listens to the, this, this podcast, she'll say, that drawer of ivories, <laughs> that, that bag, I have a, like a big quart-sized baggie. It's a of, Crown Royal bag, isn't it? No, it's not. Oh, They're yeah. usually Crown Royal bags. <laughs> I, I have a lot That's of perfect. things that I use Crown Royal bags for because my Uncle Larry, <laughs> he he's a Crown Royal guy. So I have all kinds of Crown Royal bags that are used for all kinds of things, uh, but not for that. But when she sees that mess of ivory, she's like, what are you going to do with those? I don't know. So. Can't throw them away. No, I'm not going to throw them away. And some of them are pretty cruddy. <laughs> I didn't clean them up or polish them or anything. But So, yeah, that's, so. you know, if you've harvested animals in the past and you're just now hearing about us, you can still send hmm. us send us a teeth. So, with that, you'd need to know what tooth it is because Correct. some teeth come in at age one or age mm-hmm. two or so. Yep. You need to know where you're, at least where you're starting from. 
That's correct. So. And if, if you don't want to look up the dentition online, you can draw a rough diagram and circle the one, or you can sometimes people send in the whole jaw and we can extract it here. We really prefer to just get a tooth hmm. um, and then we can put it right into process, but we can do the extractions here. If it's a European mount, you're probably going to have to figure out how to get it out yourself. So I got three Alaska bear skulls I need to bring over. Yeah, bring them over. We'll pull the teeth. We'll and make it, it toothless. We, uh, there was a guy... He must have been here in Bozeman because he came in and he had a bear mount and it was, it was a European mount and it wasn't done that well and he knew it and he told me the story about the taxidermy and uh, he wasn't satisfied. Anyways, all the teeth were glued in there and I'm just like, oh, this is going to be interesting. But it, we put it in some solvent and I was able to get the tooth right out. So, really? um, yeah, if you bring them in, we'll, uh, we'll as long as we can get the tooth out, we can age it. Yeah. Well, I shot a. Um brown bear in alaska with my grandfather just before he passed away and a friend was holding it up like oh this is cool and then he let the lower jaw drop and it landed on the concrete and one of the this one right here audience can't see whatever this is it a canine, canine? yeah split right down the middle oh. so oh i've never had that one age the biologist when we checked him in thought it was between six and seven which is pretty young for a bear but uh, it was. It's a brown bear from Alaska. I mean, yeah, and it was the story of this is 2006. Uh, my grandfather, he calls me. He's like, Randy, you always said you're coming bear hunting with me. I'm not getting any younger. Get your butt up here. <laughs> That's about it, as much as he would say in a day. So I did. I went That's up really there, cool. and, and on the last day, we we lucked out and, and found one. But. Uh, so I don't know how old that one is either. So maybe I'll just bring a whole bunch of bear skulls out yeah, here. And, we'd love to. Okay. But you guys are about ready to get really busy, so I don't want to add to your burden. Two or three teeth isn't, isn't, isn't going to matter. Okay. Two, two or three thousand teeth, we'd have to, we'd have to do some rearranging to fit those in right now. But uh, well, up to ten I, we can handle. I'm... I'm so thankful, Carolyn, that somewhere along the way you decided to come to an Elk Foundation banquet and donate a bunch of aging uh, opportunities. Yeah, or, I am too, believe and, me, uh, because you just never know where things lead to. So yeah. this is great. Yeah, and uh, so I, I wanted to talk to you more that night, but being the MC, I was occupied. So, yeah. uh, but it's uh, it's led me down this path. I thought this was only an option available to scientists and biologists, and now to find out that rank and file hunters can take advantage of this is just it's remarkable it, it adds so much more to just the hunting experience and the understanding of of what the animals have to go through and how long they live or don't live and you know like you guys playing the prices or the ages right with me. <laughs> i i had in my mind what i thought some of these were and you know with some of them like a goat you can count the annuli on the horn so you, you got a little bit more but i was completely off on the pronghorn on the one i shot i was off by i overestimated on the one mason shot i underestimated yep. and uh, so guess you never know you never do know so well folks uh if you get a chance or if you're interested like i am and you want to be part of the conservation circle uh, if your agency asks you to extract teeth please do that and if they don't and you're just curious like i am go to matsonslab.com and 
Carolyn and AJ will make sure that you get to find out how old your critters are. You bet. Thank you, Randy. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Randy. Thank you both so much. I appreciate it, folks. Thanks for being here. And uh, 2022 is going to be the best year ever. I promise you. I'm an optimist. I was born that way. As my grandma says, being happy and positive is free and it's just a state of mind. So go forward with that in 2022. When the sun came shining.